All right. Well, appreciate you being here, church family. We're going we're gonna to curveball it a little bit just because I feel like being a little different tonight. We're going to dive in first and then pray, pray on the backside. Uh, and uh, we will walk, walk through here. So you got a cheat sheet. We are going... Let me back up. Uh, while I was in seminary, I took a biblical intro to biblical ethics was the class. And it's a class, uh, I, I had a, uh, my only option uh, that fit my schedule was to take it online. So it was essentially me uh, watching the lectures. And then I would obviously do all, you know, the rest of the reading and research and papers like normal, but I would watch the lectures on my computer versus in person. And so <laughs> I didn't know what to do one day as all of a sudden, and again, introduction to biblical ethics I don't know if what comes into your mind is the same thing as me, but like, is murder wrong? Is there absolute good and bad? What's evil? What's... And all of a sudden, the professor, who I'd already figured out was a little bit of a bizarre duck, he starts talking about the nine different hierarchical levels of angels and the seven different levels of demons and, and this group. And then and then I'm like, one, I'm like, what does any of this have to do with biblical ethics? And then two, I was like, I've ne I've read my Bible cover to cover. Where is I? And and, and so and behold, what 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 one I, I cannot tell you to this day what it had to do with biblical ethics. I can't answer that question uh, at all. What I can tell you is he started pulling all this stuff about angels and demons, some of which is in Scripture and is just glossed over. But much of it was stuff that came from non-biblical sources. Some of those were from, if you remember when we talked about, we made it to the end of the Old Testament and we had that intertestamental period that technically we're in in our Bible study right now before we jump to the New Testament. And in that period, a lot of the Jewish rabbis uh, developed all sorts of different ideas about the angelic powers and realms and what was, and, and so a lot of what he was pulling from came from there, came from some other sources, and it's part of, as we come to tonight, looking at angels, and uh, likely just angels tonight and demons next week, we'll see where we get. As we do this, it, it, it was probably one of the first instances really opening my eyes to the fact that angels and demons are an area we don't talk much about, and because we don't talk much about them, more, uh, most of our views are probably more informed from pop culture interpretations of angels and demons than they are from what scripture actually really says. And then even beyond that, even if we know what scripture says, why does it matter? How does it impact my life? What, what is it going to cause, cause you and I as believers, what's it going to cause us to do? So uh, that's really the heart behind tonight. Now on your handout, I give you this definition, give you uh, kind of a, the overarching definition as we come. And, and last week we started with hell and we went to heaven. The reason we did that is because every person is born apart from a saving uh, encounter with Christ. Every person is born on the path headed to hell. So we started with hell because everybody's headed there, but, but then we ended with heaven partially so we could end on a positive note. Uh, also because that is for those who respond. Tonight we're going to invert it because before you can talk about demons, you have to talk about angels. Because demons are fallen angels. So before we go there, we've got to really understand angels. And here's the definition I've given you for angels. Angels are uniquely created, immortal spirit beings, possessing a level of limited power and intelligence, as well as personality and morality, 
who serve primarily as messengers of the Lord, protectors of and ministers to God's people, and warriors who execute God's judgment. Now, that's a long definition, I know. But what I've tried to do is, basically what we're going to do now is unpack really that definition. Angels are uniquely created. Angels are uniquely, uh, well, let me, let me, I'm flipping back and forth with my notes here. Uh, the term angel, let me, before we unpack it, let me just give you kind of background. The term angel, there's multiple terms in the Hebrew language that we, that are used to describe what, what we call in English angels. The most common one of those terms is, is the Hebrew word malach, which means a messenger. When you come to the New Testament in the Greek language, the term angelos, you want to know where we get angels? It's a, really a transliteration of the Greek term. That word literally means messenger, which is part of that term. Why is that term there? Well, because it's, it's describing what is really, when we look at Scripture, the primary role of the angels. Now, angelos can refer to a human or an angelic being, but clearly in Scripture, when it is referring to an angelic being, it's very clear. Uh, we need to be be careful when we speak about and what we think about angels. We need to be careful that we do not go further than what Scripture clearly reveals. And let me give you an example as to why. Second Peter, if I would yeah, make sure I'm turning the right way. I might need to go back to Awana and rememorize the books of the Bible here. Okay, Second Peter chapter 2. Um, speaking about false teachers, says, especially those, verse 10, who indulge in the flesh and its corrupt desires and despise authority. Daring, self-willed, they do not tremble when they revile angelic majesties, whereas angels who are greater in might and power do not bring a reviling judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like unreasoning animals, born, and it goes on from there to describe them unfavorably. Here's the point. You have, even in the New Testament, Jude, the book of Jude will mention something very similar. You have a group of individuals who are walking around, teaching things about angels, teaching things about demons, and acting in ways in response to them that not even the actual real angels will act like. And so the warning here is, and ultimately where he's going to go back to is, so you better make sure you hone in on what God's word actually says and not on what kind of popular myths and things people throw out and give. So it's vital that we understand, not just because of seminary professors who bring up angels in a class on biblical ethics, but because scripturally, to wade into things about angels and demons that are untrue is to set us in a position as a false teacher. And because angels and demons are real and can be interacted with, there's a lot on the line that we make sure we get it right. So, angels, uniquely created spiritual beings. You've got uh, on your page Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, speaking about Jesus in verse 15, says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Now, we've talked about we're in this kind of biblical worldview category of philosophy. We understand that philosophically, what is real? Well, what is real is the physical universe, the seen, 
And we also know there is a spiritual realm or spiritual universe, whatever term you want to tie to it, that is unseen. And scripture just said both everything seen, visible, and unseen, invisible, all of it was made by God. And then after invisible mentions thrones and rulers, authorities, speaking about spiritual powers, angels are created beings. So in your definition where it says they are created immortal beings, what we mean by immortal is not that they have always existed, meaning they don't die. They're immortal. They don't die, but they have a beginning because they are uniquely created. They are uniquely created. We see from scripture that their essence, what they are actually made of is spirit. So angels do not possess a flesh and blood, biological, physical body. They are spirit in essence. And you go, what is spirit like? I can't define that for you. I've never seen it. Scripture doesn't really define it past that. But angels can appear to look human in form. Now understand a distinction between angels and Christ. Angels do not have real physical flesh and blood, but obviously when Gabriel showed up to Mary, the indication is Gabriel looked like a man. Jesus obviously looked like a man, not because he appeared as a man, but because he actually is a man, biological flesh and blood. There's a difference between there. This is part of what Hebrews uh, chapter one, looking at Jesus greater than the angels. Now, when did the angels get created? There's an interesting little statement in the book of Job when God is speaking to Job out of the whirlwind and asking Job questions. He makes this statement. He says, gird up your loins like a man. Uh, I will ask and you instruct me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who has set its measurements since you know? Who stretched the line on it? On what were its bases sunk? Who, who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Well, morning stars, you might go, oh, the morning stars, the stars that I look up and see in the morning. Could be, except that that is a common term that is used to refer to angelic angelic deities. Not only that, but the stars were created after the foundations of the world were laid. So it can't be the stars in the sky singing for joy as God lays the cornerstone of the earth. It means the angels quite literally watched God create the physical universe in the six days of creation. And as they watched in wonder and amazement, God speak forth the physical universe, they sang praises to his glory. So when were the angels created? Well, it says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Sometime before he created the physical universe, he created the spiritual universe and the angels. Well, when, pastor? Well, that's all, that's all I can give you. That's all scripture gives us. If someone tells you, I can tell you exactly. On the third hour of the first morning at this time, you can go, that's a bunch of hogwash. That's not in the Bible. Because it's not. When were they? The angels were created sometime. Uh, sometime, if you, want, if you want something slightly, you can say sometime on day one. Sometime at the beginning of creation, before the foundation of the earth is, is laid, they were created. We know in their basic essence, and, and you can, we already read it there in Second Peter, where it mentions that they have a, that they are greater 
angels who are greater in might and power, we know that an angel, they're, 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 they're created, their, their essence is spirit, but an angel has a might, a strength, a power, and a glory that is such that if an angel were to reveal themselves in this room right now, the response would not be, wow, an angel. Go read your Bible. The response would be panic and terror. And you say, but wait a minute, pastor, a lot of those are in the Old Testament. We got the Holy Spirit of God living inside of us. You're right. So did the apostle John who, see, who saw both the uh, transformed Jesus on Mount Carmel. Uh, they also, John also saw the, the risen Jesus. John saw Jesus ascended into heaven. And in the book of Revelation, when an angel appears to him, he falls on his knees in terror and almost worships him. If we were to see an angel, it wouldn't be the cute little Looney Tune, white robe, glowing halo, precious moments. As, as I would tell students, we'd all pee in our pants. There would be, because there is a glory and a power. You see this all throughout Scripture. Even interesting, even though Mary seems to respond favorably to Gabriel, does Gabriel not tell her, peace be with you, do not be afraid? You don't have to tell people to not be afraid if there's not something frightening. So they are uniquely created beings. We understand who are the angels. They have various names and titles. Job chapter 1 verse 6 talks, calls them the sons of God. Uh, Psalm 89, 5 through 7 mentions the holy ones. Uh, Hebrews chapter 1 verse 14 says they are ministering spirits. Daniel chapter 4 verse 13 uses the term watchers. Common in the New Testament, especially in Paul's writings, the, the use of thrones, dominions, principalities, and authorities. Now, there's an asterisk there on your sheet because that can refer to in a very broad sense, the angelic powers, it can also very specifically refer to the demonic powers. And you're going to have to pay attention to the context when you see that use of thrones, dominions, rulers, principalities, stories. you're going to have to pay attention to the context of where you're reading in scripture in order to know uh, which it is. When we look at Scripture, we do see, while, while we don't know if there's nine levels of hierarchy, we do understand that there is some level of hierarchy amongst, amongst the, angel, the angel forces. By the way, what's one of the titles of the Lord? The Lord of hosts, the Lord of angel armies. And so it's, it's not even crazy from the perspective of that's what host means. Every army has some level of hierarchy and order. We just need to only stay with what Scripture gives us. The book of Jude Verse 9 makes this statement, but Michael, the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, so we already know right there, there is at least an archangel. There's at least some kind of, Michael's an archangel, Gabriel's an angel. There, there's at least some kind of differentiation there. You can also think of the passage uh, in the book of Daniel where Daniel's been praying for a response from the Lord and an angel, a messenger, Finally, an angel brings the message to him and says, Daniel, God heard your prayer three weeks ago when you first uttered it, and he sent me to bring the word to you. But on the way, I became attacked by the prince of Persia and was locked in battle, and we had to call in Michael, the archangel, to come in. See, even there, you see, there is some level of hierarchy that is amongst the angelic forces. In addition to that, the book of Daniel, chapter 10 Verse 13 makes this, oh, this is actually the passage I just quoted. 
uh, the, the angels telling Daniel, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia was withstanding me for 21 days. Then behold, Michael, one of the chief princes came to help me. So we also see this title, chief princes. Could that be another term for archangel? Could be, does it mean there could be more than one archangel? Certainly would imply that. But again, those are really in scripture. Those are the only two remote titles of rank. Now, specifically, I'm being specific. There's other titles for different kinds of angels, but as far as titles of rank, those are the only real ones mentioned outside of just normal angel. Uh, we see some angels. We see some specific names. Obviously, we've seen Michael. Gabriel appears. Gabriel appears to Daniel in chapter 8 and chapter 9. Gabriel, of course, appears to Mary in Luke chapter 1. He also appears to Zechariah, John the Baptist's father. Those are in Scripture the only two angels given specific names. Now, obviously, what that implies is angels carry individual, like angels have names. They have individuality. They have personality. They're not just like, they're not just all kind of clone robots that, that do different things. There, there's personality to them. Now, interestingly enough as well, we only ever see angels appear in masculine form. Now, I, I, I'm not saying that to make any kind of major statement beyond that, but to just simply say, if we got to go with what Scripture says, we only see angels appear in the masculine. Could there be angels who appear? From, could be, but also understand, if you were to try to make that claim, you're going beyond anything that Scripture says. And we want to stick with what Scripture says. Why? Why? Because there's actually a third angel named, but he's not an angel anymore. Lucifer, Satan, who what? Appears as an angel of light. So part of the reason we got to make sure we stick with what scripture says is because there's a very real enemy who is far more powerful and far more crafty and far smarter than any of us in this room who will appear and use any means he can to trick us into engaging in something that is false and demonic powers are real. So there's title of rank, there's specific names. We also see when it comes to angels, there's different kinds of angels. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to phrase it that way and just say angel, angel is going to be our broad umbrella category as far as for us in this room tonight. You, you, maybe you'll sit under a different theologian and you'll take a class at seminary and you go, oh, he, he did, I, I, I just, this is Wes's terms. This is Pastor Wes's terms. We're going to run with that. Angels. Under angels, we see there are cherubim and there are seraphim and there are living creatures. There seems to be different. Now, whether that's a different kind of angel, whether those could possibly be different kind of ranks and assignments as angel, we, uh, we're kind of getting beyond what it says. I'm just making sure we understand what's in there. Cherubim, two cherubim, or a cherubim guarded, not two, but one guarded the Garden of Eden after the fall, Genesis chapter 3, verse 24. Of course, there's two images, golden images of cherubim that set above what? The Ark of the Covenant, that set above the Ark of the Covenant. God is described as being enthroned on uh, the cherubim, and, and that he travels with them as his chariot. We see the seraphim. The seraphim are mentioned in Isaiah chapter 6. Uh, literally, the term means fiery ones. Uh, they have six They have six wings. With two, they fly. With two, they cover their eyes. With two, they cover their feet. 
Uh, we see both in Ezekiel and Revelation, the living creatures. They're described as having the appearance of a lion, an ox, a man, and an eagle. And in all of these beings, when they appear, we see them unceasingly declaring the praise and glory of God. And so we see these as well. So here's, here's what else we know about angels. We know they're glorious, intelligent, personal limited moral beings. And I believe that's the next part of the definition that you've got. They, are, they possess a level of limited power and intelligence. And here's what we mean by that. Angels do not possess all power. It says in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, which we've read twice now, so I won't read it again. It says they have a greater power and might than us. The angels have supernatural power that is beyond anything any human being has. Right? An angel came down and took out 120,000 of the army of Assyria in one night. There is no human being who in their own strength could slaughter 120,000 people in one night in that way. Now you can go, well, pastor, we can push a button and drop a bomb and kill me. Well, that's, we're, not, we're talking about face to face. But an angel did that. The, 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 uh, the angel that comes in in the plagues, these different ways, there is a power, but understand, they have a kind of supernatural power that's beyond anything we have. But they do not have all power. There is only one who has all power. There is only one being who is omnipotent, that is God. The angels even all together do not have more collective power than God because by default they are created beings. And there is no created being that is able to have more power than the creator. So they have a great power, but it's limited. Just like that, they have a great knowledge. It is clear from scripture. The angels know a whole lot more than you and I know. And they probably ought to know more than we know. They're there in heaven where God, the fullness of God's glory and presence is, is, is made and revealed as we looked at last week. They have a greater knowledge. But they do not have all knowledge. It says not even the angels know the day when he comes back. And I'll be honest, I'm not so sure, given the fact that Jesus mentions he could call down the angels to save him from the cross, I'm not so sure the angels really understood what was happening on the cross. Because Paul keeps referring to that as the mystery of the gospel, and that word mystery meaning something that was not understood by any before it was revealed. I, I'm of the opinion, I think only the triune God was understood the full reality of what was going on on the cross and in the resurrection. Which means, again, I'm giving you this is personal opinion, personal opinion, Pastor West's personal opinion, not thus saith the Lord. Personal opinion, I think that means God had to command the angel armies to not go down. Because I do not think anyone other than the triune God understood what was happening in the gospel. So the angels have a great knowledge, but it is limited. They don't possess all knowledge. They're personal beings. They can interact and speak with one another. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13 mentions, if I speak in the tongues of angels, implying there is angelic language. Hebrews chapter 13 makes this interesting little statement that if you're a 1990s Newsboys fan, you'll know a song that they wrote about it. But it makes this interesting little statement. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. Angels have 
personality. They can interact. They can speak. Obviously, we know from Scripture, they can interact with us. But angels are also bound to one place at one time. They're not omnipresent. I mean, Daniel chapter 10 with, with, did you notice? Hey, I was in God's presence. He heard your prayer three weeks ago when you first prayed it. And he took me to, he sent me, meaning I had to move because I can only be in one place in the spiritual or physical realm at a time. So you think about the, you know, the, the omnis with God. God is omnipotent. He has all power. God is omniscient. He has all knowledge. God is all omnipresent. He is fully, he is fully himself in all places at one, in one singularity of time. The angels are none of those. They have none of those attributes. They have a great power, but it's limited. They have great knowledge, more than we have, but it's limited. Uh, they have, they, they, they can only be in one place at one time. By the way, on their knowledge, I forgot to give this to you. There is indication in scripture that, um, never mind, I'll back up from that. I'm getting ahead of myself. They have intelligence and free will. It mentions in your definition, they are moral beings. We know they have free will because as we're gonna look at probably next week, not tonight, one of them chose to rebel and convinced a third of heaven, a third of the angels to do it with them. So there is a morality. They have a, an ability to choose to honor God or to not honor God. Uh, they, they can choose obedience to Christ. Those who are in obedience to Christ are who we call angels. Those who rebelled against Christ are who we call demons, fallen angels. Uh, by the way, just as a random note, again, telling you what's all in Scripture, angels don't marry. You go, well, what? Yeah, angels don't marry. Why? How do we know that? Because someone said, hey, Jesus, we're going to try to trip you up here. You got a lady. She married her husband. Husband died. Then the brother married, and he died, and she makes it through all seven brothers. One day, they're all up in heaven. Who's whose wife is she? And he said, you don't have a clue. In heaven, you'll be like the angels who do not marry or, or are given in marriage. So you go, Pastor, what's all that mean about angels? I don't know. I'm just telling you, Jesus said they don't get married. So I'm telling you, that's what Jesus said. And that's all we got with it. We're going to go as far as the boundary scripture gives us. And then we're going to go, ah, don't know what's past there. Let's not speculate. We also know as far as well, how, many, how many angels are there. Listen to Psalm, Psalm chapter 68 here. Psalm chapter 68, verse 17. The chariots of God are myriads, are 10,000 upon 10,000, thousands upon ten, thousands upon thousands. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22 uh, says, But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to the, angel, the heavenly Jerusalem, to the myriad of angels. Revelation 5.11 said, Myriads upon myriads. And I looked and heard the voices of many angels around the throne. The number of them was myriads upon myriads, thousands upon thousands. There is a definite number of angels. Don't mistake that in what I'm about to say. But that language, myriads of myriads, means there are more angels than you and I have the ability to process with a number. Which also by default means this. If a third of them fell, that's a lot of demons. 
So why are the angels? Okay, well, this, this is all about who are the angels? Well, why are the angels? Well, we see clearly, we've already mentioned it with several of them, they exist to worship and glorify God. In fact, they worship God alongside us. When we come together as a body of Christ, and whether it's singing a simple song in here on a Wednesday night, or whether it's us in worship on a Sunday morning, and, and, and we're singing, blessed be the name of the Lord, Understand, you and I can look around the room and see people praising God in the room, but what we can't see, but is also true, is there are angels present praising God with us. They worship God. And this is, this is an key thing with angels because it also we go, well, why angels? Because we'll, And we'll look at some other things here in a moment, but understand this, angels do help us understand, church family, God did not create anything so that we would be, or any other piece of creation would be the center of the universe. We're created to worship God. We're created as we live out what God intended as human beings, as we live that out rightly in a reconciled relationship with God, as, as we live out even in this earth, transformed family relationships, transformed work relationships, transformed relationships with how we respond to society, every aspect of how we live out is to be all worship. We exist for the worship and glory of God. Now it's mind blowing in that as our God is so great and who is worthy of all of it, but is so personal and loving that his love is the constant giving of himself to us. So far from being some kind of weird, self-centered, hyper strange thing, I mean, it, it's amazing. They exist to glorify God. They do exist to exercise, there is some just as God created man and said have dominion over this earth, we do know from scripture, uh, there is some level in the spiritual realm in which angels are, are to exercise authority. Is that what I mean, pastor? Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse eight. When the Most High gave the nations their inheritance, when he separated the sons of mankind, when he set the boundaries of the people according to the number of the sons of God. Now there's some debate over that passage. Could, could that be? But I think when you look at it, there is some form of, and, and, and also Psalm 82. Now if you have even, like I have a New American Standard, Psalm 82 will say, and God took his seat in the council of the rulers. The challenge with that is when you read that, you think of human rulers. But the Hebrew word there is Elohim, which never refers to human. Obviously refers to God, but context, it can also refer to God's lowercase g. Well, God's lowercase g, in that case, would mean angelic powers. There seems to be some kind of heavenly counsel where God has, and, and this isn't far-fetched, we know from Job. Satan walked in and there was God surrounded by the angels in counsel. We, we know there are those ideas because there's strange little stories in the Old Testament that frequently get missed. Like when the prophet comes against Ahab and he says, okay, and he says, oh yeah, Ahab, you can go up there. I, I, you can go up there. God's with you. And Ahab said, you're just messing with me. Tell me what God really said. And he said, okay, I'll tell you what God really said. God stood up in heaven and said, which one of you will go and convince Ahab to go into battle so that my judgment will fall upon him? And one of the spirits stood up and said, here, here's my plan, God. And God said, great, go do it. That's not metaphor. That's not analogy. That's a prophet speaking straight. Here's the scene of heaven, Ahab. And the reason all your prophets are telling you you're going to go is because one of God's messengers has tricked them into doing that because judgment's about to fall on you just like it was prophesied long ago. And Ahab goes, ha ha, see, you're terrible, and throws him in prison, and Ahab goes out and dies. So here's all it to say is, and this is one of the dangers. There, there's, some, there's some interesting books out there. Um, 
that you can read on just unpacking the different the different things in Scripture. Part of the reason the New American Standard translates Psalm 82 with rulers is, is probably more than any reason because as people who are thoroughly Western, and even though we would not claim a naturalistic worldview, we've all been influenced by it. And we all need to be humble enough to acknowledge if you grew up in American society, you and I have been influenced by a naturalistic worldview. Most of us rarely ever think about the spiritual plane. Why? Because we've been raised in a society that says all it hears in front of us, and, and, and there's no way that that doesn't rub off on us at times. So there's sometimes a hesitancy with passages to go for two reasons. One, we're a little, we're a little uh, uh, naturalistic, Let's, and that doesn't make sense. Two, because there are crazy people who take that stuff and exploit it on down the line, and you get 1,200 different levels of angels who are doing battle in this way, and if you sneeze the wrong way, that's a sign that a demon's on you, and you get all that kind of nonsense. And so there's a caution to it. But what I'm trying to do with United is just, let's just let Scripture say what Scripture says. Let's believe what it says to the limits it says it. And then where we go, well, I got a question there. Well, great. There's a lot of things I got questions about, but God chose not to reveal those this side of heaven. So there is some capacity in which angels are intended originally to exercise some aspect of authority in the spiritual realm. We, we do know is this. Their primary relationship in Scripture seems to be this. They exist to reveal and communicate God's message to humans. The New Testament speaks about Moses receiving the law from an angel. Angels in Luke 1 announce John the Baptist and Jesus' birth. In Matthew 2, it's an angel that warns Joseph to flee to e Egypt. In Mark chapter 16, it's angels who speak to the women at the empty tomb. In Acts chapter 1, it's the angels who speak to the apostles at Jesus' ascension. In Acts chapter 8, it's an angel who sends Philip to the wilderness for evangelism. In Acts chapter 10, an angel tells Cornelius to send for Peter. By the way, uh, in Acts chapter 12, it's an angel who comes and wakes P Peter up in prison and says, hey, get out of here. In Acts 27, it's an angel that reassures Paul that he will go to, see, to Caesar. Again, we see the primary role that angels, that angels serve is, is to be messengers, divine messengers to humans. In addition to that, they also exist to protect and minister to believers. Jesus, throughout his life and ministry, in, in the temptation in the wilderness, Matthew 4, Jesus was finished being tempted, and then it said what? Angels came and ministered to him. Jesus was in agony in the Garden of Gethsemane, Luke chapter 22, and angels came and ministered to him. We know that there were 12 legions of angels present at Jesus' arrest. We know that angels rolled away the stone for his resurrection. We see the angels rescuing apostles from prison and harm. harm. Acts 5, Acts 12, uh, Psalm 91, verse 11 talks about angels have been charged with protecting man. Now, I know that will bring up, well, is there such a thing as a guardian angel? That passage certainly makes it clear that at minimum, there are angels who at times are assigned to physically protect you. But beyond that, there is nothing in Scripture that says you have, uh, what's, what's the, um, who's the angel in uh, the Christmas movie? Clarence. Clarence. There's nothing in there that says Clarence has been assigned to you for all your life as your guardian angel. But don't mistake that. One of the things angels do in ministering to us is they do protect us. Angels are there, according to Hebrews chapter 1, to serve and minister to believers. Uh, 
They rejoice at our conversion. They are spectators and watchers of our lives. By the way, rejoice at our conversion, Luke 15, spectators of our lives, 1 Corinthians 4 and 1 Timothy 5. They're present within the church, 1 Corinthians 11. They're there. They, 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 they speak God's word and message. They protect, they minister. And, and you might ask the question, well, Pastor, but wait a minute. I thought we've got the Holy Spirit of God who lives inside of us, who speaks to us, and we've got the written word who speaks to us. yes. And by far and away, the New Testament makes it clear the primary way God's going to speak to you is through himself living within us and his word. Even when you go throughout scripture, people being spoken to by angels is never the norm. If it was the norm, there wouldn't be quite the shock when it happens. But we also want to be clear, it is possible that God could use an angel to speak to one of us, which is why John in the book of 1 John says, test the spirits because angels and demons are real and they can talk to humans. And you and I better test what they say. So again, we want to walk clear. Angels absolutely are messengers. Is that going to likely, is something wrong with you if you live your entire life and go home to be with the Lord and angels never spoken to you? No. Because dad, gummit, the Holy Spirit in us and the word in front of us is better than an angel. We'll come back to that in a second. But I also I just want to be clear that that's there. They also exist as, as warriors to execute God's judgment on his enemies. Again, the Lord of hosts, the chariots, an angel of the Lord brings death to 185 Assyrians. I need to correct myself, it wasn't 120. They're involved in pouring out the judgments in Revelation. The archangel in 1 Thessalonians 4 announces the second coming of Jesus. It's the angels, Matthew 13, that will separate the goat from the sheep. So they exist as warriors. In fact, there's a great, I, I didn't get to bring the picture, but if you just search Michael Kiev statue, there's this incredible black with gold uh, accents statue of the Archangel Michael in the center of Orange Plaza in Kiev, Ukraine. It's huge. It's super imposing and in full battle. It's, it, this is not Precious Moments Angel statue. This is like Lord of the Rings Angel statue. Uh, and uh, they, anyways, it, it's, it's because warriors are angels. Now, I'm going to mention to you something quickly. And then we're going to just look at the takeaways and then we'll pray. The quick thing is this. One of the questions someone might ask is, what about in the Old Testament when it mentions the angel of the Lord? And there is, you could ask five pastors and get five different answers. Okay? The angel of the Lord. There's sometimes when the angel of the Lord appears and it just seems to be a designation for this is the angel of the Lord. This is the Lord's angel. There are some times when the angel of the Lord appears to be a title and some things happen with that angel that aren't normal for the interactions with angels. Uh, give you an example. Uh, in Exodus chapter 3, it says the angel of the Lord is speaking out of the fire to Moses, but it interchanges the angel of the Lord speaking with God himself speaking. I'll uh, give you another example. Jo Joshua chapter 5. Joshua sees the, the commander of the Lord's armies. And when he has that encounter with the commander of the Lord's armies, it says Joshua bows down and worships him. Angels are never 
deserving of our worship. In fact, when John tries it, that angel, man, get up, get up. Don't you dare worship me. I'm a fellow servant of the king. By the way, there's also one commander of the angelic armies, Christ. You see the same thing, uh, Daniel chapter 3 seems to want the one who is like a son of God in the fire. You see a similar aspect of worship to the angel of the Lord by Samson's parents. I give you this to say what the debate is, is are there times when the angel of the Lord is actually a title and it is a, it is a we would call it a Christophany, a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. I have beloved pastors I trust who would say absolutely, and I have beloved pastors I trust who would say not a chance in the world. I, I lean yes on some and no on some others, like Joshua. I, I really think that probably is pre-incarnate Christ because an angel is not allowed to be worshiped. But the angel of the Lord there, who is the commander over all the heavenly armies, receives his worship. And that's not tying to another angel. But I'm just telling you that to be aware. I'm not trying to confuse you. I am telling you a final answer on that and going beyond anything I've just told you is not wise for any of us because we don't know with absolute certainty. And here's what's even more important. It doesn't matter if Joshua 6 is an angel or not because Jesus has come, he's lived, he's died, he's risen, and we worship Christ. So takeaways. Ironically, here's the first takeaway. Angels are never to be sought, worshiped, or prayed to. You never find angels being sought, worshiped, or praised to in central. In fact, in scripture, in fact, the reference I keep giving you about John is, is, Revel, is Revelation 19.10. Then I fell at his feet to worship him. This is the angel, but he said to me, do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and of your brethren who hold the testimony of Jesus. Of Jesus. Worship God. You may get all fascinated by angels and this and that, but I want to be clear. You and I are never, as children of God, to ever put our emphasis and be captivated by, by knowing the angels and having an angelic encounter and praying for an angel and praying to an angel. No. Are angels real? Yes. Are they glorious? Yes. Do they have a purpose? Yes. And none of it is for us to seek or worship. We are to seek and worship one. His name is Jesus. Angels are to be scrutinized on the basis of Scripture. I shared this with you. 1 John chapter 4, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. Here's the real reality. It is possible for you to encounter an angel. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you go home tonight and all of a sudden there's an angelic being standing in your living room and he says, I am Michael the archangel. Whatever he tells you, you better scrutinize it all the way to scripture. That's what that passage says. We should live lives that give angels reason to rejoice. The angels watch our lives. They celebrate when one person comes to faith in Christ. They rejoice when we walk in obedience. When you're faced with that hard challenge where it's going to cost you to follow Jesus and you choose to follow and honor Jesus, the angels celebrate. The angels are part of that heavenly host cheering you on. 
We ought to live lives that give the angels reasons to rejoice and celebrate. Uh, we should be more focused in, 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 on knowing and enjoying Jesus than on understanding the, the angelic. And this is what I love about angels. This is where we'll wrap tonight. Angels show us the magnitude of what we have in Christ. What do you mean, Pastor? 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 through 12 is all really one sentence in the Greek, and it's this incredible description of the salvation we have in Christ. And here's how it ends. I mean, it says things like we have uh, we've been born again to a living hope. We are protected by the power of God. We, uh, Even though we've been distressed by trials for now, we be found more precious than gold, all of these things. And it says this, talking about the prophets, it was revealed to the prophets that they were not serving themselves, but you, those of us who believe today. In these things, which you have now been announced to you by those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit from heaven, things, and the things he's talking about are the things we have. The moment you repent and yield your life to Jesus and are saved by grace through faith, the things you have at that moment with Jesus, those are the things it's referencing. Things into which angels long to look. And it's an interesting little Greek phrase that would get really cumbersome to translate but, but this is what the, the picture of that verb is. I, as a kid, at some point figured out birthday and Christmas gifts are in mom's closet. <laughs> now, I'm the firstborn, I'm shy, and I'm a rule follower, so I'm never going to go open the closet and look like my sister. But I will certainly walk by, and if there's the door cracked just a bit, find a way to casually try to get just a quick, brief, split-second glance through the door and just see what I can see. That's what that word is describing. That the angels know what we now have in Jesus Christ by grace through faith. And they who are in the presence of God wish that for a split second they could walk by and get a, a quick peek at what we have right now. Why? Hebrews tells us that God did not give help to the angels. He gave help to the descendants of Abraham. Uh, it's clear that, that angels, according to 2 Peter 2, chapter 4, when those angels fell, when they chose to sin once, there was no shot of redemption. The angels were not created in the image of God. We alone are made in the image of God. It says in it says in Revelation chapter 21, and I saw the new Jerusalem coming down and I saw God who's going to make his dwelling place where? Not in heaven, the realm of angels, with man on the new earth. And, that, and, I, and I saw him and the one who's on the throne in his glory, he took his, he took his hands and, and he wiped the tears from my eyes. But then here's this, I want you to think back to Isaiah chapter six with me. The seraphim, six wings. Only two of those wings are used for flight. It says the other four rings, two of them cover their eyes. Two of them cover their feet. Now, I never thought much about it until I was working through this first, and I realized, why? That's strange. That's strange. Why are their eyes covered? You know, they're, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Why are their eyes covered and their feet covered? Because think about it. An angel by default, in order to still be an angel, is morally perfect. They have never sinned if they are an angel. And typically when you and I think of holiness, we just think of moral perfection. Yet the angels are morally perfect 
And in God's presence and His glory, they don't look at His glory. They cover their eyes. The feet, think about Moses. Moses, take off your shoes. This is holy ground. With two wings, they cover their feet. Because the angels, holiness is more than just moral perfection. Remember when we looked at God in the spring. Holiness at its default means unique, separate, totally distinct. God is not just holy. He is holy, holy, holy. And angels may be morally right, morally righteous in terms of not having committed sin, but they are still creatures created. Now, we talked last week. Jesus comes back, new heaven, new earth. We get a resurrection body. 1 John chapter 3 says, and we will have a resurrection body like His. Why? Because we will see him. Revelation 22 says we will see him. Is that not mind-blowing? The angels who have never known a thing of sin, they don't see him. But our destiny is one where we see him. And so here's what I encourage you. If, if ever in, in our life we look at our daily relationship with Christ, Jesus loves me this, I know, for the Bible tells me so. I've been saved by grace, but man, I just, you know, it just feels so hum. I'm not having these great this and that, whatever. If ever there is a moment where we get just kind of gray skies feeling about the fact that we're saved, Understand that what we have in this very moment right now with Jesus, the angels who are in the fullness of His glory and presence, they, they don't even wish they could get a taste of it. They just wish they could get a peek at it. How dare us ever minimize the magnitude of God's salvation in our life? How dare us? But how incredible. That as mind-blowing as angels are. Imagine that moment the angels fill the clouds above the shepherds. They wish they could have a peek at what we have in Christ right now. Oh, and by the way, in eternity, 1 Corinthians 6, angels right now have a greater power and majesty. 1 Corinthians 6 says that for in eternity. We judge the angels because our destiny as sons and daughters of the king is, my, is, is truly no eye has seen or ear has heard what God has planned in store for those who love him. <clears throat> okay, we're going to pray. I know a couple of you got to get off to choir. So if you need to get off to choir, please uh, go ahead. Uh, uh, and just as we finish our time tonight, I'm just going to ask that we pray around the tables and um, Here's what I'm going to do for tonight as you pray around the tables. Uh, you know some of the normal things we pray for. Revival in our hearts as a church. We pray for uh, awakening in our community. We're praying for the leaders of our nation. But in addition, I just want to open it up. Uh, I just want to encourage you as you're going to take the next five minutes till seven o'clock and just pray. And I want you to encourage you, uh, pray as you are led. There may be other things on your heart to pray for that come up tonight. Maybe part of it is just a time at your table to just praise and say, thank you, Jesus. That a little five and a half year old boy who could offer you nothing 
you set your eye on and you in the kindness came after and you convicted of sin because you wanted to save me. Maybe it's just a time of praise at your table. So um, I just encourage you to pray and then um, uh, I, I, will, I, will, I will close this out in prayer here in just a moment. So let's pray. Father, I don't, I don't think any of us in this place, um, God, we, we can't even fathom what it would be like to go throughout the known universe and to see the beauty of your creation. God, I just I imagine being out in the middle of space and seeing things that we've seen from, from our satellites and, and just the grandeur and the, and the, and the majesty and, and, and the magnitude and, and to see that. And yet, Lord, that is... That is only but, but one part of your creation. There is an entire spiritual realm that I, have, that I have never seen where your glory is on full display. God, where the angels worship you, where the angels declare your glory, where the angels watch us, where the angels are, uh, serve and minister to us. Father, in the midst of all of that, to think that you think about me more than the number of grains of sand. Lord, literally there is never a time when I am not on your heart and mind. Jesus, that you look down as your, at me, your child, who can grow weary and tired. And my path is not hidden from you. You who protect me for salvation to be revealed. You who, whose grace is sufficient. You who are faithful when I am faithless. And God, all of this is part of, of what I have in you by grace through faith. Lord, may our hearts just rejoice and say, thank you. God, may we in rejoicing and saying thank you know the security of the fact that Jesus, you say your sheep are in your hand and no one can snatch them away. Father, the angels long to get a peek to what we have with you. May we not waste any more time from seeking to enjoy and know the fullness of everything we have with you. And knowing, Lord, that now we see in part and there will come a day when we see in full and even in the day when we see in full, we will spend all eternity and never come to the end 
of what it means to know you and what we have in you. Lord, may we be captivated by your greatness. May we be moved by your love. God, your will be done in us. And please, Lord, your will be done through us. It is in your name I pray. Amen.